Hello and welcome to this APW Property Podcast episode. APW advises the worldwide expat community on their property purchases in the UK. And here on our podcast pod from which the podcasts are cast, we like to peek out at the UK property market in all its many hues. Uh, there, that's called adding a bit of colour. Um, today I'm joined from APW by Callum Williamson. Hi, Paul. And we're also joined by Stephen Clark from legal firm Russell Cook. Hello, Stephen. Hi, Paul. Which is just as well because our subject today is conveyancing. Uh, what is it? Who does it? Why do we do it? And what does it involve? But first, um, Stephen, uh, tell us a bit about yourself and your firm. Thank you, Paul. I'm a, I've been practicing as a solicitor for over 40 years. I'm a partner at Russell Cook. We're a top 100 legal firm with about 200 specialist lawyers doing a mix of commercial, not for profit and private clients. And that, of course, includes domestic conveyancing. And we have a number of peer group accolades among the various lawyers in our team. Stephen, thanks for that. Um, and thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Appreciate it. Um, as Paul suggested there, we most of our work is done with expats and Brits living overseas. So I wonder, do you deal with many um, British Br- British people living overseas or are you mainly focused on the you know people residing within the UK? We're more focused on UK. We act for a lot of developers, so we have a lot of experience from the other end of the spectrum, which is helpful. And we do a lot of obviously UK-based buyers and sellers. We have some offshore investors. We have a number of offshore investors, including substantial offshore commercial property investors, but um, it's a balance. So we certainly have experience of offshore investors too. And uh, maybe maybe jumping, um, going off in the you know at a tangent here, but I mean the process by and large is the same, is it not? Or are there major differences between if you're living overseas or if you're living in the UK? I think the fundamental differences are that um, if a UK firm of solicitors is contacted by an offshore buyer, they have to do their due diligence as to money laundering, source of funds, etc. Obviously, if it's established clients, they know them well. If it's somebody offshore they don't know, that's got to be done. And the second thing is you're looking at what offshore buyers' requirements are, which may be very different. Are they buying it to let? Are they buying it as an investment? Is it an existing property? Is it a new build which you're buying off plan? So there's those issues to bottom out. Okay, well, that's... um... Uh, interesting distinction there. But first, let's go back to the, the topic today, uh, conveyancing. Uh, firstly, what is it? What is the process of conveyancing? Conveyancing is the transfer of the ownership of real estate, of uh, interest in land, from one owner to another. That is, it's as simple as that. Um, of course, it becomes somewhat less simple as you work through it. Fundamental distinctions are... Um, whether you're buying a freehold property like a house or whether you're buying a flat or apartment which will be leasehold so you'll own it for a specified number of years can be anything up to 999 years so those are the the basics okay and uh, so who does it who does conveyancing conveyancing is done by solicitors or by licensed conveyances solicitors are administered by the Law Society, licensed conveyances by a body called ILEX. 
And what's the difference? Why why are there the two sort of different branches? Solicitors are the tra- traditional professional body, but um, in the 20th century, um, matter it, it all changed, and uh, it became possible for uh, different routes of qualification to be open to people who could then qualify through as licensed conveyances, and they are just as authorised to deal with residential property as solicitors. And conveyances can operate for both sides, can't they? Whereas on some property transactions, you have to have a solicitor on both sides. Is that right? Only in very only in limited circumstances. Conveyances and solicitors generally. And let's let's in from now on let's call everybody conveyances because it's easier. Uh, conveyances have to be very careful about conflict of interest. You can't negotiate with yourself. You can't represent both parties. If you're, for example, aware of something on behalf of one client that the other client would like to know if they were able to. So you do have to be very careful. There are um, clear restrictions, and by and large, it is healthier that conveyances only act for one party. Okay. Um, so, uh, Callum, how do you find a conveyancer? You're, you're sitting there abroad. What's your route to finding a conveyancer or solicitor? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I was just going to ask if there's, a, do I have to find a local conveyancer to the to local to the property I'm buying, or can I find a conveyancer anywhere? But I think um, trying to find one. I mean, this is something I did myself recently, and we did a um, a YouTube video on. You know, if you're looking for con- a conveyancing team, I mean, you you can simply start by just sort of Google it and, and trying to find some local teams in your local area. That's you know for for you millennials out there googling it or you know, asking for references from people you know that have bought property, as you would with, with sort of anything, you know, speak to people you know, have a look online, look at reviews, hear what people have to say. And then something I I did, or, you know, when when I was buying a, a property earlier in the year is I just called them all and, and had a brief chat with them and saw who was the most helpful on the telephone and who was the most willing to to sort of help and answer the questions. And, and that's how I made my decision. So, yeah, you know, there's there's uh, plenty of teams out there, and I'm right in saying they don't need to be local, do they? You can you can work with a conveyancing team anywhere in the UK. Is is that right? Let me, let me just add to that. I mean, the first thing is recommendation is everything. It's really helpful to have that reassurance that somebody knows what they're doing. The formal answer to the question is that you can go onto the Law Society website, a find a solicitor, and you can go onto the um, uh, ILEX have a website for authorised practitioners. That's not silly because you do need to know that you're dealing with somebody real. You don't necessarily have to have somebody who's local to you, local to the property, although local knowledge may help. Um, Locality is probably more of a factor in terms of cost. If you have a solicitor who works in the middle of London, he's going to charge you more than somebody out of the country. Okay. In terms of cost then, how how much does it cost? Obviously, it depends, but uh, uh, give us some rough guidelines. Basically, this you do need to shop around. Prices vary dramatically. On the other hand, service standards also vary. And of course, the old adage is true, you get what you pay for. Do you want to have a solicitor or an experienced conveyancer personally working for you, and knowing his stuff, dealing with it himself, so you can contact him, you pick up the phone, he will answer the phone and available? Or do you want to go to an organization where it is 
done on a different level. Everyone's sitting at their screens. You won't necessarily be speaking to the same person. Um, it's not individualized. It's just it's process. So that is within those parameters. Costs can vary from if you're, it depends on price, obviously, it depends on whether it's leasehold or freehold, it depends on whether there are mortgages, it depends on particular complications. You might, for a profit, buying a freehold property of up to, say, half a million, you might be paying something between oh, two and four, five thousand pounds. If you were buying um, something over 1.5 million, you might be paying, oh, certainly double that. It varies entirely. It's very hard to give you specific prices. Yeah, I think uh, that's very true. You know, and you look, you look at the other end of the market. You know, if you're looking at flats at uh, 150 to 250,000, then you could be paying, you know, eight, 800 to 1,500. You know, but you are right in that the level of service does vary. And you know, if you're working with a conveyancing team that doesn't work with people that live overseas, you know, it can make the process difficult because you know, a lot of the time. We've had clients that have been working with UK-based teams and, you know, they call you at two in the morning or they'll call you at a, a time of day and, and they haven't realized there's a time difference or, um, you know, they'll send you an email and, and leave you with a load of work to do. So it is, I would say, personally, you know, pay a little bit of extra money and work with a team that knows what they're doing because it will make your life uh, a lot easier. And uh, the general advice would also to be get a written quote from the convincer to explain what is included in the charges and what is excluded because there are costs that are additional to the process that the solicitor does uh, which we will come to now uh, so uh, take us through the process what is it uh, Stephen? The first step which is exactly you're absolutely right in terms of finding out what you're paying for goes back to one thing we haven't mentioned which is that although it's not absolutely compulsory it is strongly advised that you should be dealing with a conveyancing quality standard accredited firm, CQS accreditation. Um, if the firm is accredited, then they have to follow the process. And that process, absolutely basic things like giving you a proper engagement letter, giving you a proper fee estimate, telling you what the complaints procedure is, telling you exactly who is going to do your work. These are all basic things that are um, really helpful from the buyer's point of view. In terms of process, so that is what I, I would do that first of all, get your quote, make sure you're happy with it. And what will then happen is that the solicitor will need to carry out uh, money laundering compliance and will need evidence of your of who you are, um, passports, driving license, address, etc. Um, and will also have to ask you as to source of funds. The solicitor will, or lawyer, the conveyancer will get a pack of documents from the selling solicitor. This may vary hugely in size, depending on whether you're buying an existing freehold house or whether you're buying an apartment that hasn't yet been built. Your conveyancer will carry out searches for the local authority and the relevant utility companies, and also environmental searches. And he will uh, negotiate the wording of the contract with the seller solicitor. If you're getting a mortgage, then he will need to get the mortgage offer for mortgage instructions from the mortgagee. Some mortgagees will be happy to, some lenders will be happy to instruct the same solicitor that is doing conveyancing for you as buyer. Some may want to have their own separate lawyers. And then once the solicitor, the lawyer will then report to you, sort out any queries with you, 
And if you are ready and the seller is ready, we'll then exchange contracts, at which point you pay a 10% deposit. Um, you're then locked into the deal and the actual completion when you pay the balance of the purchase price and take possession of the property is depends. It may traditionally it goes often four weeks or so later. It doesn't have to be that long. If of course you're buying off plan and the property hasn't been built, then it will be when the property is completed, which may be months later. Just picking up on a couple of points there. So searches, we're going to actually look at that in a separate podcast, but we'll touch on it today. Uh, but there are so many of them that we just thought we'd uh, dedicate a separate podcast to that. Uh, the banks and the lenders, some of them only work with solicitors that are on their registered list. Uh, so that's something if you're looking for a solicitor to act on a property, you need to make sure that uh, you need to ask that question. Uh, is it okay to be working with the lender that your funds are coming from? Well, thanks for that sort of comprehensive overview. I Also, one thing, exchange and completion, there's a trend that seems to happen more and more where solicitors try and do it on the same day and they or they just because of the delays in the process earlier on and the difficulty of getting to an exchange, particularly in a chain, suddenly the exchange and completion dates are happening on the same day. Why is that? What's going on there? Well, it sometimes happens, but it's not remotely the norm. It is certainly less common with residential conveyancing because people need to know in advance exactly when they're going to move. So if I exchange contracts today with a completion date on the 10th of December, balance of my money, finance money, and all the rest of it. If I am going to do it simultaneously, I've got to organize that in advance. So that actually is quite complicated. And quite a, quite a risk as well, because if you're, you're, you're booking the removal vans and stuff, you're, you're spending money before it's, before it's a done deal. Well, sorry, can, can I just add to that? But of course, the key point to bear in mind is that under English law, until you exchange contracts, there is no deal. So there's no commitment. You could, you could have gone on for weeks and months. You could have spent a lot of money with your lawyer. But until you exchange contracts, you're, no one's locked in. Once you've exchanged contracts, everyone's committed. So that's the key point. Yeah, it's an important, an important uh, big pitfall there. But what are some of the other pitfalls? What, what are things that you see happening sometimes? What can be most frustrating from a buyer's point of view? Certainly that, the danger that you spend money, you spend money on searches, you commit yourself, you go and get a survey done, that costs money to make sure the property is structurally sound, and then you find your buyer withdraws. Very often with domestic conveyancing, there'll be a chain of purchases and sales. So you may have two, three, four, five or more people simultaneously buying and selling each other's houses. And of course, they're all mutually interdependent. So if one person in the chain, if they're, they don't get a mortgage or they change their mind, then the danger is that the whole chain collapses. That is, that is a problem and that can be a cause of frustration. How do, you, how do you as a solicitor deal with those chains? What happens? Do you have contact with everyone down the chain or do you just, you're just talking to the solicitor that you're dealing with and they have to talk to the next one and they have to talk to the next one? Or is there a back channel that happens? What, what happens in reality is, it, is that as long as it's going smoothly, you just deal with the solicitors on either side of you, the one you're buying from, the one you're selling to. But if there are complications, then you say, where's the complication? You'll probably, well, certainly I would insist on finding out where the complication is and speaking to the lawyer involved. 
doesn't mean you can necessarily solve the complication, but you can at least find out what it is, how serious it is, so you, your client can, you can then advise your client what best to do. Yes, there are quite creative ways of doing that as well. I hear stories of you know the richest person in the chain suddenly uh, offering a loan to the person who suddenly needed the top-up funds right at the bottom just to keep the whole process on track. Have you ever done that? I've never done it, but I've certainly seen it done, and uh, it's, these things can happen. And price adjustments as, as to how the pain is shared if there's an issue like that. In terms of other issues, just two things to watch out for. Obviously, delays can be frustrating. And of course, if you've got a chain of, say, five people, um, the chain will exchange when the slowest person is ready. And if the slowest person has a problem getting a mortgage, it can delay everything, which is frustrating. Other things to a particular, two particular risks just to mention, and this is not to be alarmist, but just so that you're aware of them. If you are buying a new development, um, a block of flats it hasn't been built yet you're buying it off plan often these are marketed offshore as an attractive investment obviously there are risks involved if the developer becomes insolvent and so you've got to buy you go and exchange contracts you pay your 10 percent and then some months or years later the building hasn't been finished because the developer has gone bust also do bear in mind of course if you're buying off plan with delayed completion you are you're buying at whatever price you've agreed, whatever happens to the market. The market may go up, the market may go down, and you may do very well out of it. You may not do well, you're still obliged to complete. The, the other thing, again, this is not alarmist because it happened, it, it is not a common occurrence, but one, you have to make sure that your, or your, your solicitor or conveyance will have to make sure that they are dealing with real people at the other end. You've got to be careful about title fraud and fraudsters who pretend to own property and pretend to sell it. That is the responsibility of your solicitor to make sure they've done proper checks, that the people they're dealing with are real. I think that's a, a great point, you know, and you also, as you know, speaking as someone that is uh, offshore and has bought an off-plan development this year, you know, it was... Um, Mine was consistently delayed because of COVID and it reached a point where, you know, the mortgage offer had run out and was extended again and had run out again. So um, it came down to the wire, but luckily managed to get it through. But um, I think, you know, that is something you hear a lot living overseas is, is you buy off plan because it's an easy way to access the market. And then the developer goes bust or becomes insolvent, as you say, you know. So I think one of the, the key things for people that are buying from overseas is that you need to be working with people, whether that's conveyances such as yourselves or mortgage brokers or, in this instance, developers that have the experience, the track record, the process in place and have happy clients and investors to show for it over a 15, 20-year period. You know, I think where people run into trouble is where often it's a too good to be true deal with a guaranteed yield on the back end or whatever it may be. And, you know, then it all falls down because it was always too good to be true. So you're dead right. But you can mitigate that by, you know, um, listening to people such as yourselves and listening to us and doing your own research, which is always very, very important, and then making an informed buying decision, you know, but it does happen, you know, and we've all heard about it. So, uh, and you would probably know better than me, but having things like long stop dates and contracts and step over insurance, all those sort of things that add extra layers of security for for buyers. And I think if you have those, then 
you can find some good stuff, but you need to make sure you've got those things in place, I think. In an ideal world, you would want your deposit to be normally on a purchase. The deposit between exchange and completion is held by the seller's converter as what's called stakeholder. So he holds on to the money. And if the, the seller goes bust, the seller hasn't got the money. Sometimes with buying off plan from developers, the deposit will be held paid as what's called agent for the vendor. And so the money then passes through to the developer and it helps fund his development work. That's when you're at risk. But basically, the key, key, key thing is what you've just said. If it's too good to be true, it's not true. So be careful. It touches on another thing, which is the the uh, sort of these are large sums of money when you're doing a property transaction. Even the ten percent deposit is uh, substantial, and there were stories of hackers interjecting in the process and and uh, changing you know bank details and so that the money w- for a property went astray. How how do you mitigate against that? What's the the process? I know that you have special uh, special accounts and special transfers. You do have to be really careful about. And again, there is a golden rule, and the golden rule is um, you do not rely on any purely electronic resource for information as to transfer of funds, because emails can be interfered with, and your email chain between you and your lawyer may be infiltrated. And there have certainly been cases where fraudsters have sent emails to clients purporting to be from the from the lawyer, looking just like it saying our bank details have changed and clients have fallen for it. Or clients can email their lawyers ostensibly saying, please send the proceeds of sale to this account, not the one I told you earlier. So, um, And once that happens, the money will disappear in seconds. The answer is that your one of the first things your conveyancer should do is tell you their bank details and ask you yours. Uh, before anything starts and assure you that they will not be changing their bank details. I mean, we have had our bank details for goodness knows 20, 30, 40, 50 years at least. And that is absolutely fundamental. So when I'm transferring money, uh, as I'm doing for completion, as soon as I finish this call, I will be speaking to the lawyer on the other side personally um, to make sure that I check his account details before I send through the completion money. Yeah, and I think that's a very good point, actually, is, you know, if um, if you're ever in doubt, you can uh, sort of go old fashioned, as I guess it would be now, and pick up the phone and actually call someone and say, look, are these the correct details, you know, because um, they, you know, they can't hack people's phone lines and impersonate people's voices, voices. So if you are ever in doubt, yeah, just pick up the phone and ask, right? Well, fortunately, that kind of mishap is not common. It does happen. It's something to be aware of. But uh, money going astray is relatively rare. Final point, what can buyers and sellers do beforehand, before they start the convincing process? Well, from a buyer's point of view, make yourself attractive, as it were, if in terms of uh, making sure you secure the property. So are you a cash buyer? People are very cynical about cash buyers because everybody says they're cash and then it turns out they actually need to borrow money and get a mortgage. But um, uh, show that you are, do have the assets and obviously make sure you're buying the property you want that satisfies your needs and it's, that you know what you're doing. So far from the sellers concerned, obviously check with your conveyancer to make sure that any supporting documents, Some sometimes sellers will 
go and put a pack of searches together. The length of time that searches take vary depending on what part of the country you're in. Most of them are obtainable within 24, 48 hours. But the local authority search, which is the most important of all, which we'll come on to in another discussion, I'm sure, um, that that can take a longer period of time. So getting stuff ready and making sure that you, you know, liaise with your conveyancer so you know what he needs and he knows what your requirements are. Okay. Callum, uh, final thoughts from you? Yeah, final points. Um, just going back to something I said earlier is, you know, often it is worth working with someone it's always worth working with someone that knows what they're doing because they'll take the stress and the hassle out of it. You know, there was, when we were speaking about the process there, for someone that's not familiar with buying property, you know, it does sound like a lot of work. So working with someone that knows how to do it for you will take the stress out of buying, you know, and as with anything, as we always say, whether it's buying a property, working with a mortgage broker, finding a conveyancing team, do your research and, um, you know, make your decisions based on your own research, referrals, testimonials, that sort of stuff. So, Well, I can throw in a personal recommendation for Stephen, whose services I have used and availed myself of on many occasions uh, in the past. Thank you very much for being with us today, Stephen, and for your expertise and knowledge. Thank you very much for asking me. Happy to help. And uh, thank you to Callum. Thanks, Paul. Pleasure as always. And thanks, Stephen, for coming on. Appreciate it. Next week, we'll be looking back at what's happened in November that impacts on the property market. And we'll be back with Stephen the week after having a look at conveyancing searches. Until then, it's goodbye from me, Paul Shearer. Have a lovely day. Thanks for listening to this episode of our podcast series produced for APW by Emma Holton at Brilliant Audio. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe, hit like, share it with your friends. If you didn't, keep stum. You can find more episodes in all your usual podcast places.